I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Hi everyone, this is John Heinz. I am thrilled to have you guys back for another fantastic episode. And I am here, as always, with the uh, super crew of Jim Gentilly in Silver Spring, Maryland. Hi, Jim. Hi, John. I'm here also with Shelly Cummings in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana. I hope it's beautiful. It's beautiful in Chicago today. Is it beautiful in Chicago? In it Indy is absolutely today, gorgeous here today. Yeah, great fall day and yep. our near fall day. And I'm here with Peggy Bennett in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my favorite fluoride town. How are you, Peg? Great. And it's actually really beautiful here, too. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> you didn't ask me, John, but it's <sighs> nice in Silver Spring also, by the way. You didn't hurt that you don't care if it's nice here, but it is nice. See, I think equality doesn't necessarily mean asking equity doesn't mean asking everybody the exact same question. You can do different things with different people. I didn't say equity. I said you hurt my feelings. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll try to be more uh, feeling conscious later. Everyone, I really appreciate you guys being here today. We are doing an odd episode. We haven't done this for a while. We're going to talk about an article, an opinion piece, actually, that was in the New York Times on August 12th by Deborah Spar. That's made the rounds in a few of our conversations, and we thought we would take a little time and and talk about the the article. The opinion piece is called The Poly Parent Households Are Coming. And it's an article about how genetic testing and genetic engineering is going to allow there to be some wildly divergent and new manifestations of family from how uh, it has been traditionally known in perhaps the history of the world. I'm being forced to host this episode by Jim Gentilly because I, in fact, am a member of one of these so-called poly parent uh, households, sort of. And, and we, we could talk about that. So I don't know. I, let's, let's start the conversation there. No, uh, no, we, no. Before we do that, but before we do the conversation, <laughs> we had we did have a couple. We had a couple comments. Uh, we had a, we had one actually. Uh, we had an email uh, that was making fun of Jim, so we couldn't resist the opportunity to bring it up. And it was it's a uh, it's a, a listener named Lara Manzioni. Lara, Lara Manzioni, not Lara Manzioni. Lara. Lara Manzioni, and Lara says. This is primarily to Jim. It is so, Jimmy, it is so fun to listen to your arguments with your mates while I'm house cleaning or grocery shopping. It's like you're right next to me because I never get a word in edgewise then either. <laughs> so, oh, she knows uh, you Jim, well. as always, your, yes. your fan base is... The dominant theme of all the response we get is Jim should talk less or not at all. Yes. yes. Well, it, does, it's, it, I, it seems almost like there's some fetish on the part of Lara where she's like into the fact that she can't get a word in edgewise and to the point where she like enjoys it. But I also find it interesting to hear that at least one of our listeners listens while house cleaning and grocery shopping. Two things that I actually also find myself listening to podcasts doing. The beauty that she has is she can just stop if she feels like Jim has gone on too long when she's listening to the podcast versus true. <laughs> versus the rest of the three of you who are stuck listening to me. She can also, she can also double speed or half she can. speed him. Yes. I saw friend of the podcast, guest of the podcast, Beth Shannon earlier this week, and she listened to the last episode on bankruptcy. And her response was, you should let Peggy and Shelly talk more. It's okay. Fast. Well, I've I have a, I'm proud to say that this for this episode I did not have a double espresso before the episode, so I plan on letting you guys talk as much as you want. On the other hand, it's 
your organizational functioning has slowed down as a result of that, perhaps. So. I, I will admit that uh, the structure of the podcast, as much as I'm thrilled that we've moved to a more structured podcast, it's throwing me. But speaking of which, let's move to the first segment, which is Top of Mind, uh, where each one of us goes around and talks about what's on the top of our mind. Jim interprets that broadly as to the thing that he's that's the top of his mind that he's rationally chosen over the course of a period of time. And Peggy literally will say whatever pops into her mind when I finish this sentence. Peggy, what's top of mind? <laughs> well, I actually was trying to think of what my top of mind would be when I was going into work today. <laughs> oh, a little preparation. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. She's adapting. I thought uh, I thought of a really good one, and now I can't remember what it was. We'll come back to you. It'll come back uh, to you. Well, so no, Peggy, it's too late. What's been... at the top of your mind is you can't remember what you were going to say for top of <laughs> yeah. mind. Yeah. So right yeah, now it was about the weather, about how beautiful it is with all the windows well, that open. Is nice. gorgeous. That is a yeah. good thing to talk about. And I slept with the windows open last night, and it was wonderful. And that's what's on the top of my mind because I what can't did wait you, to What do happened it again last night? Tonight. I'm sorry, I missed that. Slept with the windows open. Oh, okay. Oh, and love next that. week it's supposed to get in the 40s at night. I cannot wait. So the windows oh. will be open or closed when it gets to the 40s? Open. Oh, really? Seriously? Wow. wow. 40s. Okay. I'm not ready for 40 yet. I'm ready for 60s, but not 40s. Got to yeah, ease into too. that. Me too. As someone in their 60s, I can say that 40s are definitely better. <laughs> Temperature. <laughs> Temperature. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. What's very top of my mind right now is the way that I am going to be drinking my four-day Ray Brewery peanut butter porter as we do this podcast so that nobody can tell. Yes. Delicious. Yep. It's making me drool thinking about it. it um is. Wow. Is this a new find or is this a long-standing friend? Well, I love peanut butter beers. And they're stronger in alcohol content, 5%. And I've had a week, a day, a month, a year, and I felt like having it. What'd you say about the strength of the beer? It's 5% alcohol per volume. That's not very much. I think it's stronger than regular beer, though. Yeah, yeah but what is regular beer? I thought regular beer micro- was only like 4%, but I could be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. micro-brews, 5% is not yeah. high. Oh, yeah, I don't really? think that's high at all. We, I just get met higher than plain old beer. I'm not even sure it is. The when I remember being in college and having friends in Colorado who had half beer where they sold half beer way back then and half beer was called 32 beer because it was 3.2%. Yeah, 3. they do 2%. that in Utah. So I'm the... thinking I'm thinking regular 6. Oh, I thought that was 2%. <laughs> I thought half beer was like 2%. Well, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there it's a fluid concept, but I just remember the name 32 beer. I remember It's good it, that beer I, is I, fluid because when it's a solid, it's really not as satisfying. No, yeah, although, not as satisfying uh, at all. No, that's it's exciting. a beer, beer that I've had in my refrigerator for a month or so, and I'm just enjoying it. Is it peanut butter flavored or just made yes. with peanut butter? No, it has a, uh, I think it just, it has a peanut butter and chocolate notes. And so it's like a, it has a little peanut butter aftertaste to it, but it's a porter. So it's a dark, dark beer. And I like all types of beers and I just stumbled upon it. So it's... um my favorite is Kentucky Bourbon Barrel. Wow, beer. yum, mm-hmm. yum. Well, Peggy's that might uh, be Peggy's next. home. Peggy's hometown has got me addicted lately. My husband and I have, been, have discovered that Costco is selling kind of 
very inexpensive in large boxes of Founders All Day IPA, and I'm finding that it's a session ale, and I'm finding that it's definitely my uh, brew of choice right now. It's a box of cans. Oh. I think it, he means a case. Inexpensive a case. It's inexpensive, and it's delicious. <laughs> a case. In, a in case. this country, that's called <laughs> a case of beer. I don't box. know what they say. It is a box. You, I mean, it's a... But that's not how it's It's not a case in. like a t- traditional Bud Light, like it looks like a case, like it's like a 24 can. This is a smaller. I think this is only like... It's, I don't know. It's a little bit smaller. Yeah, they do sell I don't know. 15. It's like a 12-pack, perhaps, is what it's called no, in this country. bigger than that. Bigger than that. You're getting closer. It's so not it's 24? Not, it's not How about 24? what I said, 15? I, I think Peggy's right. It's her hometown. Peggy gets to... It's, Founders is from Grand Rapids, isn't it? Yeah, but they're they're total sellouts now. They oh they, no yeah. well, well I found them at Costco, so that's obvious, yeah. right? If they're selling it at Costco, it's all over. They were around the world before they were sellouts, but now they've sold out to a, a Why is selling at Costco selling out? I don't get that. Is that is actually my, one of my high school classmates is a a year older than me is a co owner of it. Gretchen Whitmer? No, no. You're older than me. She's my age. Oh, okay. Gretchen Whitmer is the same age as you. Correct. So why is Costco selling out, Jim? It's just because if you if you have a product that is of sufficient scale that Costco will buy you and sell you, and I imagine you know you can kind of keep up with the sheer quantity that Costco demands. I think one that might might be in some historic definition the definition of selling out you know that you're that. doing something just for selling scale out means just to that sell you more change to me that implies you've changed your product or your corporate philosophy or something like that well you have in some ways right you've you've chosen to make enough of something to mass market it to the point where it can be and just why, like a, so a commodity mass almost marketing per se is selling out then no, but just doing something for money, doing something exclusively for a lot more money. <laughs> so in other words, when they out. originally did it, they did it for love. Exactly. Oh, of course. Well, it's beer. there you go. Peggy yeah. would know. She, you know, used to go out with one of them or something, I think she said. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll go like there that. next. All right, Jim, top of mind. Well, I am very excited because this coming week, I intend to, for the first time since March, early March, go to a movie theater and see a movie. I'm going to go see all things holding firm, I'm going to go see the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. I believe that's how it's pronounced, T-E-N-E-T. And I'm going to, I'm looking forward to that. It's gotten great reviews internationally. Got a mixed review in the New York Times, so we'll see. Oh, trouble. I am, top of mind for me is concrete. I'm I'm rehabbing a house and thinking a lot about concrete. Okay, so today... Concrete. Now that, in contrast to beer, is better in solid form than liquid form. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, Although it can be fun in in liquid form if you if you want to give somebody you know concrete boots. So today we're talking about the polyparent households. Who wants to go first? Well, John, why don't you why don't you uh, sort of summarize what the argument of the article is, or one of us? Well, Jim, do. you're going to do that better than I am, but I will say I think that the basic idea of the article the basic idea of the article is that we are coming to a time in the history of the world where traditional families do not will not need to be and may be dismantled in favor of families that are defined by genetics that come from a chosen set of genes. So for example, they they give a whole bunch of examples in the article about things that could be possible in the future about multiple people, friends, platonic friends, even um, uh, grandparents and of uh, 
people, any people really who want to get together and create a child will be able to essentially select the genes that they want and create a I guess designer baby comes to mind, although that seems to trigger something in me from way back when. And because of this, the traditional family will fall by the wayside or maybe need, may need to be redefined. Is that fair? Well, I think that she, in fact, says at the end of the article that that won't happen, that that most people will continue to reproduce. The vast majority of people will, will still continue to reproduce, as they say, the old-fashioned way, but that how it is changing, you know, it is part of this evolution of what we think of as a family. And I think to be fair, she does trace the sort of development of that over a period of time and that the new genetics that are not yet available, but may soon be available, are another step along this path to the non-traditional family being an yeah, option. Yeah, and they can do it in mice already, so they're anticipating it coming to humans soon. But, um, you know, despite the, the hope, ethical <clears throat> questions. I hope that, that will, the vaccine will come sooner than that does. That's my own Indeed. personal choice yes. there. But yes. In terms of yep. the priority but, of this, the research effort. but I'd know. agree. I'd agree. Yeah, but Shelly, Peggy, what did you guys think? So I think this uh, essay is but correct me if I'm wrong, is part of her upcoming book, right? I think that was part of it in the back part. So I feel like this is a piece of a story, of a bigger story, right? I really like how she lays down the uh, historical progress, so to speak, how things have been in the 60s, the 90s, how it changed in 2015 with the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, right of marriage to same-sex couples and how that gave new definitions to family, even though that had been happening before then, and where the next evolution of genetics and artificial or reproductive technologies are moving, assisted reproductive technologies and artificial. So I think I feel like there's, it's this, in some respects, it's the same old, same old in my mind and that science is going to get there before policy is going to get there. I mean, we've had we've had all kinds of reproductive technologies for a while from IVS to ICSI to all kinds of things that people could argue were, you know, playing God or were trying to make a better race of humans by weeding out those bad genes. And then sometimes I'm a little conflicted with that being in the genetics world because of, you know, the devastation that a severe disease can have on a family. And then the other side is the ethics and the moral aspect of what does that mean for the future? And what are you saying about that thing you're trying to weed out of that individual's genetics? Like those people that are walking around that have that, let's say hearing loss, are less of people than people that could hear, you know, like less valuable. So it, it sets or, up all... Or even something more um, insane, like somebody who can't go to Harvard is less valuable than somebody who can go to Harvard. That's what people, you know, people want like super babies. Yep. and Right. I mean, it, get back, it gets back to that movie Gattaca, right? Where you have these different races based on superior genetics. I agree with you, Shelley. I, when I read it, which I read it like 
15 minutes ago because I don't <laughs> have a printer at home and I You don't read liked, newspaper articles on your uh, phone or your computer? Not really, only out of desperation. Wow. So I printed it at work today and then I was really busy speaking of devastating illnesses, lots of sick kids. And so then I read something like this. Oh, and I, I'm again, sorry to like hear that, Jim Peg. Said, that seems worse than what we're talking about. Yeah. And then you think, oh, they're going to spend all this time and effort on this instead of let's cure some childhood cancer. Or uh, like you said about the vaccine for COVID, hello, way more important. Um, and then, I don't know. I think that's a judgment. I mean, I'm not arguing yeah, COVID well, I'm and making six a judgment. kids. This is my uh, my opinion. Wait a minute, Peg, uh, Shelley, just to clarify, because I you're saying you're not saying it's a judgment that the vaccine for COVID is more important, right? No, but I guess, um, and I'm not arguing against Peggy's opinion, but I think what we have to do a couple things. I think we need to step back and uh, talk a little bit more about what we're talking about this IVG and define what specifically, but. Beyond that, I feel like there are couples out there, regardless of the definition of couple, that their whole life is revolving around, I want a child. I want a child. It's the most important thing in my life. And I think what Peggy talks about the virus and these six sick kids is not like at the individual couple level. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing what you're saying, Peggy, at, at all. I just think that there are some, you know people out there that that's all they want to do. You're not hurting my feelings, but I, so I hear that and I think, gosh, if somebody feels that way, that their whole life is to have a child, then that's really sad for them because, well, I mean, I guess now with what this article is about, then everybody should be able to have one if that's the way of the future. Currently, it's not, you know, it's not the way of the future. And if you're going to if your whole life is going to revolve around whether or not you have a child of your own, there's going to be a lot of people who are setting themselves up for a disaster or a hard life. So yeah, I guess that's, I don't want to use the word pathetic because that seems a little strong, but I get the, the huge drive and people want to keep their genes going, perpetuate them, their, themselves versus... So I'm getting ahead of myself because what I was going to say that I also agree with you, Shelley, is this is a, not a new discussion. And you're right about the science is going to get ahead of the ethics of the whole thing. And we're going to have the same old discussion that we've been having for years and years and years about stem cell research, about IVF, about embryos, about you know all that stuff that this article references. So I was agreeing with your observations of the article. I mean, the huge advantage that I see, you know, the, the, there's, you know, individuals that have infertility for many unknown reasons, some that are things that they have done and some are, you know, just the way the cards were dealt. But I do see that these technologies have a lot of advantages for those families that have a devastating disorder in their family and they want to avoid that. The, and so that's where I see that. Yep. You know, they also come with their own set of risks. I mean, one of our, this Wilms tumor, which is a, which is a kidney tumor that happens in pediatrics. One of the first questions they ask is, did you use IVF to conceive this baby? It's a known uh, risk factor of IVF that uh, you could have a child that's more prone to this kidney tumor. So, you know, there's, and the, we're still learning about the risks that go along with this. 
Yeah. And I think, I think to your point, Peg, some of the risks we may not even know yet because it takes a while for those things to manifest later. So if I can jump in here, one of the two dominant thoughts I had about the article, which is very much in line with that, is that while, you know, she may be right that this may be coming soon, it also is very, very important that this proceed like all of these new technologies, proceed in a very careful, very safe way to make sure that we're aware of what all the risks are as we proceed. And and having said that, just because something works in mice is no guarantee that next week we're going to figure out how to work it in humans. At least my understanding is that although that's that's a step forward, it sometimes it takes a long time to complete the last step to get into humans. Now I'm not I know less about this clearly than Shelley does, but but my one of my thoughts was just that, you know, in all of these things it's really important that that the the desire to present new options doesn't overwhelm the need to be cautious medically about the safety and the risk. And and it seems like it's almost inherent in any medical advance that there are concomitant risks. And, you know, the problem is we don't know exactly what the risks are until we start, you know, going forward with it. But that was one of my dominant reactions to the article. Which yeah. is, Jim, which is true with anything. So, like, they yeah. want 30,000 people to test this new vaccine. Yeah. Those people are And hopefully are they are doing risk. that carefully. And I know we all want the vaccine as soon as possible. And I would be happy if it was available sooner rather than later. But I hope we're not taking any shortcuts there. Yeah, and there's risks with normal. Sure. Con- you know, cons- I mean, I mean there's people do have lots of- reactions to vaccines that are pretty common sometimes, as yeah. I understand it. And there's no such thing as a perfect. We haven't gotten perfect fixes. It doesn't work that way, from what I understand. But but there are accepted but- procedures for how these things are tested and and looked at, and it's very important. It seems to me it's very important on those kinds of things to be that the protocols be very, very strictly followed and that safety be paramount in the consideration before we roll out these new technologies. So something you just said, Jim, something about perfect, we haven't perfected. What did you say? Do you I mean, as far as I can tell, there's no such thing as perfect medicine. I mean, you guys, well, you and no. both you and no. Shelly know more about this than I do. Yeah. But so that strikes that strikes me about this article. Then why do we have to have perfect humans, right? If we can't have... Yeah, I don't see them having perfect. I think they're playing the odds. Well, I look at it a little bit differently. I think that I don't think we're ever going to have perfect humans, no matter how much we play roulette with genes. I do think that the idea that people who might have been not able to have children previously that really want to have children can now have them, I, I don't think that's a bad thing in my opinion. I think that that's a good thing. You know, this genetic roulette aspect of it is a little bit more troubling, but, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, it's it's kind of a matter of perspective, right? Because from what I understand, and again, this is stuff that you and Shelley know more about than I do, but from what I understand, the future of treating cancer is probably more and more to look at gene therapy. And if we're 
basically treating cancer by gene therapy at some point in the future, if that's the common treatment for cancer, then wouldn't it make sense to say, let's look at the genes in the potential person and treat them before the person is even born? Now, obviously, that's a little bit different from saying I want a child with blue eyes or something like that. But it does seem to me that I don't find that as troubling as some other people do, I guess. As long as it's Does somebody want to go safe. into the article mm-hmm. a little bit more like Shelley said so we can talk about the whole idea like you could basically this child could have four genetic parents based on right. what this article and is saying to, which to is me, more I, I don't find that troubling. I do not find that troubling. Well, John, what about your experience? Because it's not the same as that article. Yeah, my experience is really, or my opinion's really evolved on this a lot. Uh, and I, I, I guess the first, the first thing is kind of a defense of family. You know, gay people always use the phrase, and I, I mean, since I came out, I've been using the phrase "chosen family" versus "bio family" or you know, like given family. And for a lot of gay people who are rejected in their homes and who are literally forced out on the streets, chosen family or the idea that you choose your family is, has always been a kind of a, an, an imperative. And so I, so I'm very comfortable with the idea of kind of an alternative. I've always viewed an alternative view of family as something core to who I am. But what I've grown to realize more recently is is just how much we as a society, and by society, I mean world, I mean every culture everywhere on earth, we have designed our world around this idea of family. Everything revolves around it. Everything. I mean, the way we write policy, laws, benefits, the way we, you know, preserve room. Republicans agree, Democrats agree. We have whatever, however we define family. This idea of family is so core to what how we function as a culture that I feel like. I've begun to realize in having a, you know, a kind of very traditional things. Once gay marriage kicked in and I got married and had a baby, suddenly it became, I, I, I like kind of accessed this in a way I hadn't seen before, but I just see the kind of benefits from it, of the, of the structure. I don't think it's all good, but I see the way we've designed it as a society. And I, I, rem- and I remember, and I've stumbled into more than my share of kind of uh, people arguing about it with me. And it's usually awkward situations where I, I have to kind of tell the story of how my husband and I ended up at the point where we used surrogacy and we didn't use uh, foster care, which is what we started to try to be foster parents. And then traditional adoption, which we tried to do and didn't work out. <laughs> and we kind of kept stumbling back to this. But I, I remember one really powerful story was when I, just a couple of years ago, I met with a former, a friend who's a former law, prof- a law professor who's gay, a friend of mine as well, who Basically, when I mentioned I was having a baby through surrogacy, kind of got very angry and was like, you know, this is terrible. The advantage gay people bring to the universe is kind of universal love. And we don't need to be part of that traditional family structure. And we don't need to have those those uh, send those same that those heteronormative standards that are imposed on us by by a society that thinks that traditional family is all there is. And I was like, I get that argument because I believed it for a long time. And what I've grown to realize is that I. I like the idea, and this is what I like about the article, I like the idea that family can be anything. It can be anything. And now, I'm not sure it's good or bad that I don't give a shit about my personal genetics being passed on. I never did care about it. My, you know, my partner and I were literally unable to find an embryo center that would let us 
adopt the embryos because lots of parents who go through IVF have a bunch of leftover embryos and they send them to nonprofits. And unfortunately, the majority of nonprofits are Christian and anti-gay and don't let gay people adopt the embryos. So we had to, that's that was yet another reason why we went down the path of using our own genes. Just, just and to not clarify, using you other, mean the majority genes. of nonprofits that have the embryos, not the majority Correct. of nonprofits yeah. in general. No, that have the embryos. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We we found it very hard. We found and we found none that were like catering to a gay audience in particular, like, you know, that were like, we want gay people to come to us. Um, we didn't have any of those. So th- the way my views have changed is that, you know, I, I used to see this as this discussion of genetics as kind of a designer baby thing. And it sounds a little bit like what I hear Peggy saying, which is that it's like, you know, you're choosing eye color or you're choosing height or you're choosing, I don't know, intelligence or whatever, I don't know, whatever else we, we, we can, we can or think we can create through genetics. And now I just think about it more as inevitable. Like, I guess in my head, I think if it's a given that we're going to know this, we are going to have the full human genome laid out and we're going to know it and we're going to have and it's just that it's going to be available to you. It's going to be like it's, it's, it's just a given you're going to take it into consideration. Right. So I don't think that's good or bad. I just think it is. And once it is, then I'm like, okay, well, if it is, great, let families do what they want to do. That doesn't, in my mind, in any way change the fact that we should still prioritize foster parenting and, you know, making sure that every child who is born is adopted and cared for well, like none of those things, or that, you know, a child with cancer should absolutely get the cure, or we should have a vaccine to to coronavirus, you know, like none of those things are preempted by it. But it seems to me if it's going to happen, and if it's just a fact that it's out there, then great. Let families create however create themselves however they want. And whatever they want to do is cool. I think the, the main difference with what we are kind of dancing around and kind of talking is that where we have been historically and where we are right now is that today we need a man and a woman to make a baby. You need to have that egg. You need to have that sperm to do their magic and create a human being. But what we're talking about is this new reproductive possibility of this in vitro gametogenesis, which makes it pretty much limitless with kind of eliminating the need for an egg and sperm donors, which is what you had to go through, John, and making it more of a strictly making babies in the lab. And I know IVF is kind of like that, but this goes further than what we have been talking about in the past and what we have right now. Undoubtedly, that's like, true. Undoubtedly, that's true. Yeah. And that's I'm going good. even Thanks further for- into the... Yeah, I was kind of mentally going even further into the world of science fiction, where which which it currently, but will eventually, I think, be the science, which is that the full human genome will be you know laid out. We'll know exactly what is coming in every single what we'll know a lot about how the different different genes interact to create different behaviors and physical traits and strengths and weaknesses and and it's literally going to be a menu of things people are choosing. Yeah, I, think I think that that's inevitable. I think that's that inevitable. is not true. I think that that will always that will always be limited. It's like the limitations of physics will eventually reach the limitations of what that can because tell us. I, I mean, I'm, I halfway agree with both of you because the human genome has been sequenced and outlined for a while, but it's interpreting it and knowing how different aspects of our environment impact the genome and how, how different genes interact with each other. And there's, yeah, we can sequence the human genome. Been there, done that. It's, va- it's available. 
Uh, but but it's and Shelly actually understands what that means, unlike the rest no, of us. So. Nobody does. That's <laughs> no, but the I mean, you understand what sequencing <laughs> the genome means. So I don't. I I have only the vaguest concept of what that means. But yes. <laughs> all the letters of our genetic alphabet that make us up. But it, it's it's uh, the complexity of that is much greater than we ever anticipated. So it's somewhere between John saying it'll never be in our lifetime and Jim saying we'll never fully know is kind of where I lie. I, with that. Let me say. Let me amend. Can I say that what you said, I think, is what I meant, but you said it better and more uh, precisely. So I think what I meant is what you said. How about that? Okay. If that's I'll okay. I'll go with that. I'm basically <laughs> glomming on to your, and I'm saying I agree with Shelley because to, in my head, that's what I meant. and it, That's where you were going. And that sounds pretty much close to what I was thinking. So Robert Plowman, I heard a podcast with him. He's the... Uh, He's head of the Behavioral Genetics Association and the Association for Psychological Science Society Child and Research and Child Development and a bunch of other things. He's a professor in 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 uh in London. And it it was a very much uh like what is coming with DNA and uh, a podcast that it was it was it was great. I think it was I think it was probably a Sam Harris process, but don't hold me to that. I remember Robert Plumman though, and it was and he 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 outlined. He just you know it's 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 science fiction. I mean he's th- saying in the in the in the future what we will know, and it doesn't you know I mean there's I think it's a, a, a fifty years, forty years, something like that. He talks about, but that to me is uh, it, for me I let go of the reins of this out a little bit. Like it, the ethics of it, it seems to me come in in like the intent. Like if somebody is if you're if when you're picturing kind of. I don't know, selecting genes to make a baby. If you're picturing like, you know, somebody trying to get their kid to Harvard or I don't know, trying to make their kid a billionaire or something like I can see a lot of people. I can see the ways where you would we would if you see that, if that's what you see when you see this process, then I could see it being ugly. But if if, but if it's more just like, I don't know, born out of love, like, you know, hey, we three people love each other or we love each other in this. We, you know, we're three women who are in our 40s and we really always wanted a baby. But, you know didn't find the right guy, didn't want to, you know, maybe they're, and they're all straight and they decide they're going to, you know, make a baby. I like, there's something at some level where I'm like, the intent is what matters. And I don't care if it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't judge it. Maybe Janine and Shelly and I should do that. Exactly. Well, there's your next special podcast to talk and about. And just weed out sure. Janine's genes out of that mix. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Janine will have a response Whoa. to that. Well, Janine will never she, listen. If, if she she listens, still hasn't exactly. listened to her, her podcast uh, yeah. that she's been on. Exactly. Uh, so I agree, John, but I think it's when it comes to that whole like, oh, I want a green eye. I want, bleh, then it gets a little too freaky for me. But if it's like out of love and all that that you said, I agree with that. I liked what you said earlier about hopefully keeping a priority on fostering and adoption because I do find that to be quite concerning how difficult it is to be, uh, to f- adopt children. Uh, adopt babies. On the one hand, I think it does need to be difficult because you don't just want creepos adopting kids and abusing them or, you know, eating them or whatever. Um, But on the other hand, it is also extremely prohibitive. It's expensive. It's selective. 
And I think that's a bit of a problem as well. Yeah. And how do you define a creepo? Because believe me, as gay men, we tried to do international adoptions are shut down for gay men. You're you're a creepo. Well, and so you're never going to you're not going to get you're not going to adopt. I think the point Peggy raises, though, is this. This is my other dominant reaction to the article and to the discussion generally, which is that this is a very elite thing we are talking about. Now, separate out the part of gay gays and lesbians can marry, and I think that's a good thing, and separate out the part that you don't have to have a traditional family unit to have a child. I think that is good. But all of these technological fixes are very expensive, and they show no sign of becoming things that are common, that are affordable for whatever the average person is. Uh, I want to talk about that. I I do want to talk about that. I think that that is, you know, there's an element to the technological part of this discussion that there is a very privileged element just to be able to be in a position to afford one of these technological fixes. Now, that doesn't mean that, for example, that, you know, People can't find other means to raise children in a non-traditional way and that that's bad. I And I don't know that, you know, I don't know that it's ever going to be a situation. And I think this is probably why she ends up saying or acknowledging that the majority of procreation will continue in the future to be in the old-fashioned way is simply because these technologies will never be practically available to the great mass of people because of the cost. Well, I, I mean, technologies do get cheaper, Jim. That's okay, just but in vitro true. fertilization and, and, and has so been I, around but for, of, for forty support, years, John, well, and well, it's not very cheap. Yeah, let me let me let me talk about that because I was I was going to say that when one of the things that in vitro is not cheap, but I will say it is. For if you are a straight couple with a Cadillac insurance plan, if your employer, you get four, five in vitro attempts for free per year. Uh, and as a gay man, we're paying forty thousand dollars for that. I don't I mean, know if that's that true. Is, that is covered by insurance. Oh no, I've that, I've paid no, it. I've I've been no, in the I don't I don't it's it's a very narrow segment of the population that has that kind very of health insurance. Yeah, but yeah, it's point, not it's union not a Cadillac. It's, it's a, not it's a free. Union that's members? I have yeah. I have very high quality union health insurance and it does not cover that. I'm and telling you, not, I'm telling you, a lot of it is covered by some insurance. I have health insurance and it does not cover that. It's, I think I'm, a lot uh, of it is covered, but on average, uh, at least the last numbers I knew were about thirty grand out of pocket uh, for IVF. You know, and that's yeah, going and through three cycles. It's not healthy to do four or five of those in a year. That's not. I know true it's either. crazy. It's that's crazy not, to even not, think you'd do that's it. That's not a. Uh, I mean, John, but my point is, it is accessed in. It, there are insurance plans that have it, and sure. it isn't. It but is, that, and that still means talking about that it's very, less elite than just people okay. who are, for it's example, still just going very cash. small fragment of the population. And the point well, is, I know, but the technology is getting cheaper. It's always the, my point is, it's getting accessible. And it's, it is. I, I would agree with you because IVF never used to be accessible to anyone regardless of your Cadillac insurance plan. And now it's being built into insurance policies, but you have to prove your level of infertility. It can't be right. just, oh, I want right. a blue-eyed, right. red-haired kid. You have to you know, prove some 
some infertility. Uh, so as I opposed to all just, technologies. you just want to have a baby this way, as opposed to I'm single and right. I want to have a baby this way. I looked this yeah. up when we were talking about it because I was curious what the numbers were. And the CDC says 6% of married women 15 to 44 can't get pregnant after a year of trying. And 12% of women 15 to 44 have difficulty getting pregnant or carrying a pregnancy to term. That's a lot. That's a lot of that's a lot of people who were saying, you know, don't have access to traditional a tenth. You know, I mean, that's a that, that that's a lot. And that and 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 I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the I don't you know, I'm there. I, we can go into the numbers of how many are actually doing it. But it's it's a lot. It, this isn't some freak thing. It's 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 mainstream. No, I and it can go up to hundred thousand dollars, depending on you know. Mainstream. So depends one of the organizations when I was well, yeah, right. What one of the when I uh, when my husband and I were first looking into when we were considering considering surrogacy and we were looking to do it on the cheap. We were, I mean, we were going to use a friend, my sister. We had all these systems ideas. We were gonna, we went to an or, there's an organization out of Brooklyn called Men Having Babies. They have a website. It's a nonprofit that kind of helps and they do that helps men gay couples because gay men in particular have a hard time. It's obviously it's distinct for women. Uh, because insurance definitely doesn't carry cover the surrogate, whereas if a woman, if two women are having a baby, their their insurance usually covers it. And the, why doesn't insurance cover adoption? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it's not a medical. But my point, because it's not a medical point procedure. Is insurance is well, but that's the point. Is insurance is an indicator of something that's more mainstream. It's sufficiently mainstream that we consider it something that everyone yeah. should have. I would be curious be to know, and I don't know the answer to this question. I would be curious to know what percentage of how many Americans have insurance coverage that provides coverage for this. And and that I, I don't know the answer to that. Because you know now employers give you maternity leave. I guess I don't know that they call it that. Sure. If they, you parental adopt. leave. Parental leave. Yeah, if you adopt. Sure. So it seems like as well they should. Right. So it also I'm not seems arguing like maybe that there, should there shouldn't be insurance. no I know you're not. I'm, but I'm just, just saying that, that that's point, the that, reason I think. Um, final thoughts, anyone? The answer to your question, Jim, from a 2017 study oh, is about 26% of companies when over, we have Shelley. <laughs> 26% of companies over that have over 500 employees cover IVF. Yeah, but yeah, how many Okay, but that's, but that's only number. companies over 500 employees. <laughs> Those are large <laughs> companies where yeah. they're spreading the risk out. This yeah. is not lot. unusual. I, yep. I, I mean, will say, but first of all, the, less than half of the people in the United States work for companies with over 500 employees. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So you're talking uh, about a quarter of half the people in the United States. So you're talking about like 12% of the people. Yeah, that's probably true. That's the, that's a, that aligns with the number that are infertile. Yeah, so, so, but I don't know women. that all the people that work for that they all, all need the to work people saying, work for the big companies. Though, I right? they sure all need to a, go work for them. Need, if you're <laughs> yeah, infertile, just, yeah. go work for a big company. Well, I mean, exactly. until you know, this was, all, like this was always one of the things. Right before the pre-existing condition thing, people would people would try to latch onto a company if they knew they had a problem, latch onto a company with a good health insurance and never leave because they were trapped, right? Because they, they, did, could, they couldn't give up their insurance and move to a different insurance carrier. Yeah. And then there's some stupidity where insurance companies will cover the IVF, but not the injections that the women right. have to have right. to right. have the procedure. Well, oh, yeah. So, that's, oh, yeah. There, yeah there's always, there are as many stupidities as there are insurance yeah. plans. We could talk about yeah. the 
problems with <laughs> sure. insurance generally for yeah. we could have yeah. a whole podcast <laughs> on insurance. Yeah. We could have a whole yeah. podcast series. Yeah, yes, right. Exactly. That's what I meant. Well, yeah. I didn't mean a podcast yeah, right. episode. <laughs> I meant literally you could have a podcast Clearly. about insurance. Now people would rather kill themselves than listen to that podcast, but there's lots of material there. So I read something on this topic from a he was a professor of law and a geneticist at Stanford. So kind of had the hat of both sides, the ethics, the legal and the genetics part. And he said in 20 to 40 years, people will still be having sex. But when they want to make babies, they'll go to a lab. Sounds sad. I'd be happy I to just go to a-, a lab to have sex if that is also one of the <laughs> yeah, options. I just heard a podcast <laughs> yesterday about how the uh, all the artificial intelligent machines and robots and some sex toys in Japan where they are booming is leading to uh, you know decreased uh, birth rates because people are finding that the AIs are working just well for com- just swimmingly for companionship of all kinds for old people who are alone uh, they're finding they have deep relationships with their AIs it's the movie <laughs> her it's the movie her gone totally. crazy and it's ah. and it's and there's and there's no question in my mind that's going to happen well we let's like to also be clear that you need the physical lower touch, birth though. rates are a sign, you know, what makes one of the things that makes society generally healthier and wealthier is lower birth rates because we used to have a world, we used to live in a world where there were very high birth rates and a lot of people dying and having fewer children and being able to keep them healthier is a sign of progress. I'm not sure that's still true. That's the old Malthus argument, right? Well, no, Malthus argued that 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 was an economic alive. argument that if you if you increase people's wages they have more children and then that drives wages down and in fact Malthus was absolutely wrong the evidence is the more economically prosperous people are the fewer children they have Peggy what were you going to say Oh, I don't know. I'm all over the place. I was well. First, I was gonna say that we got a brand new robot at work. His name is Tug, and he's going around the hospital, and he is quite good looking. So I can see what you're saying. So, are you gonna have robot sex? Uh, I don't robot know. sex affair. Does, is robot <laughs> sex cheating? Is that considered cheating yes. if you have sex with a machine Ooh. rather than another person? I, you know, intimacy these are with a, another uh, being. What well, happens yeah, if a... other people are too? Okay, well, and Does that, that like okay, STI so just central? Possible topic for you, for the three, <laughs> the VC to talk about is what's the difference between having sex with a robot and using a vibrator ethically? I got what the difference is, but they're both ethically. machines, right? There is no There's a ethical Black Mirror problem. episode about this. There's no this. ethical the problem there, except for if you're married. So oh, if you're married, you're not allowed to use a vibrator? I was just going to say, there's no, no, vi- the there's no ethical. Every sperm is sacred? No. Well, but you said you, have you can't have sex with a machine. If you Nobody have sex with that. a machine and you're married, I, okay, but a isn't robot. a vibrator a machine? Okay, we digress. Boy, this is really on topic for today, right? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to call a stop. I'm going to call a stop yes. and say, uh, okay, well, I think, I don't know if I have any conclusions, but I, uh, I, I, we all struggled for final thoughts. So we'll just leave it there and let uh, our listeners figure I it out I think the final thought is, what's the difference between having sex with a vibrator or sex with a robot? Oh, that, boy. That, oh, boy. For future oh, boy. discussion. <laughs> Uh, sure. Okay. Well, let's move on to recommendations. We end every episode by giving something on our minds that uh, we recommend for our listeners. So who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay, Pegger. I recommend this beverage that is called Two Chicks. And it is 
vodka, elderflower, and pear cocktail, a sparkling vodka fizz. And it is good. And is it spelled as in chicks, C-H-I-C-K-S? It is. So I would imagine that the owners are two females, maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. I just discovered it yesterday, and it's surprisingly light and refreshing. And there's my recommendation. I wonder if you can get it on Amazon. Does it come in a box <laughs> yes. or in a case, Peg? <sighs> it came in a four-pack. Very nice. Great. Who's next? I will go. Uh, this is mostly for our female listeners, although not necessarily. I recommend getting Mood Fingernail Polish because it's fun. It's so if you're warm, it's one color. And then when your fingers are cold or you run underwater, it turns an entirely different color. It's fun. It's whimsy. So what, what mood are you in right now? And what's your color of your fingernails? Well, well sadly... I'm predominantly warm, so it's kind of this icky kind of green color. Uh, I thought I was going to have the pretty pink mauve color mostly, but that's the color it turns when I get cold. So when I run my hands under the water. You're you're saying temperature or mood changing? Temperature. It's called mood polish. But but it really is just a temperature thing. Yeah, it's really temperature dependent. Yeah, yeah. But if I walked in a heavily air-conditioned room, it would turn my pink. It would turn the pink color. Would, that, would you be cold. in a better mood if you walked into a heavily air-conditioned room? Or? Probably, because I like the yeah. pink color better than this green color. Okay. But. So in other words, the, if you get it to go pink, it improves your mood. Yes. Seems like the yes. opposite of what the original, how it was. Re- Probably. Yeah. It's. Uh, but yeah, so that's my recommendation. If you want to be whimsy, get this uh, polish. I love it. Jim. Okay, so I'm going to recommend a movie that I saw that is on Netflix. It is directed by Oliver Asias. I believe that's how his name is pronounced. And it is called Wasp Network. It is a movie about a group of Cuban immigrants in the United States in the 1990s. And it is a complex tale about morality and loyalty. And it is the best movie I have seen so far in 2020. Wow. Wow. That's high praise. Okay. I'm definitely watching that. That's on the, it's already out on the, on the, the watch list. Nice. I love it. Uh, my recommendation is for our female listeners as well. <laughs> I am going to say that I would, uh, I, I want to encourage our female listeners to be a surrogate for a gay male couple. Ah. Because I remember when my husband and I were in China and we got introduced to the woman who ended up being our She's actually not called the surrogate. It's called the gestational carrier. And we and she's we we just asked right away. We're like, why do you why are you doing this? She's a executive at a Fortune fifty company, and we're like, why do you want it? Why are you doing this? And she said, I want you know I've always wanted to help a um, you know I know gay men can't have a hard time having babies, and I want to help a gay couple. And we both, my husband and I, started crying, and we realized just that's like we I and after watching her go through a pregnancy, we're like, dear God, who would do this? Um, and uh, so in terms of a God, what a, what a gift. I can't imagine anything uh, kinder that one could do. Can I ask a clarifying question? Sure. Do you mean literally mean only for gay male couples or just for what if there's like a single gay man who wants to have a child? Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Okay. I just I, I just okay, I just wanted to make sure I was understanding. No, I'm very into. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I, that's what I figured. Uh, but forms. I just I wanted to make sure we had it accurately there. Yeah. 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 So um, who's doing the outro? Shelly. I am. 
Take us home. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I have loved it, certainly. <laughs> now, this is and, the one about bankruptcy. This is what we're talking about tonight. Uh, and unfortunately, that's all Bankrupt the time we have. Bankrupt moral I, values, yes. <laughs> but we came up with several other podcast ideas, so stay tuned for future episodes. Yes. Sex versus with robots versus sex with vibrators. That will be exactly who knows where we'll go with that in the future. If you like this podcast, we would love it if you would rate us in iTunes or you could write us a review or send an Uh, email saying that I talk too much. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, We love comments just like uh, how John started this off with some of the feedback uh, that we've received and. We would read those on the air and adjust what we're doing. You can also tweet us uh, in search of an argument, send us a message, and uh, you can also hit the link at the end of the episode if you are listening. Be sure to join us again soon for uh, more. A fortnight. uh, In a fortnight for more conversations. Take care, everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye. 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 Bye.